that means this game is over. You're going to have to deal with the Chiefs. McCaffrey's going to get it, and he walks in. Touchdown, San Francisco. Here's Birdie looking, firing it into a caught. Ayuk, touchdown. And the ball came out. Ball is loose. Who's got it? Right in with an email that came in RAD at radradio.com from uh, Harrison. You can call us as well, 888-989-9811. My partner in sports crime is Steve Mickelson from mixpicks.com. Two K's in mix, two K's in picks. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Uh, Harrison wrote in, uh, and most of the show today is obviously about the Super Bowl on Sunday. He said, hey, guys, do you each have a pick for best Super Bowl ever, whether for personal reasons or or just the quality of the game. I, I started to give this some real thought yesterday, Steve, when I saw Harrison's uh, email, and then I realized that what he said trumps everything for me. I could probably analyze from a removed sports fan perspective and give you the most exciting game on paper or on screen, whatever. but I'm never going to tell you that the answer to that question is anything other than Super Bowl 23, 1988, Niners 20, Bengals 16, and I'll tell you why I have such a vivid memory as a Niner fan of being on my mom's sofa. My parents were were divorced at the time, and I was watching the Super Bowl with my mom and my high school girlfriend, and uh, I never doubted that John uh, that Joe Montana was going to drive the Niners down the field. I didn't know he was going to hit John Taylor with 34 seconds to go, but I was I was as calm as I've ever been as a sports fan. And I didn't even really react when it happened because it was just such a given. And it was a great come-from-behind victory. Nothing's going to trump that for the memory reasons or whatever else. I don't know where it ranks in terms of best all-time Super Bowls, but it's for me, that's mine. You know, on mine, it's hard for me to go to one. I will tell you, for many, many years, uh, the Niners-Bengals, both those Super Bowls in 82 and the one that you mentioned we're at the top of the list. I, I was cheering for the Bengals in both of those games. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. And was yet again heartbroken with watching how those games played. So they were there for a long time. But, you know, there's a lot of different games that have come up. The New England game against Carolina, you know, 2004. New England won 32-29. For me, that was interesting because – if I remember correctly, there was no scoring in the first or the third quarters, but yet they still put 61 points up on the board because the second quarter, the fourth quarter were so great. I did, you know, up there is the Ravens 34, 31 win over mm -hmm. the 49ers with just how it happened. And I remember sitting there, <laughs> Niners are driving, they're ready to go. And it was Kaepernick, just take your time, Ugh. settle the offense down. Ugh. He didn't. And, you know, we know where that one went and the Ravens held on the, the, for me, one that really sticks out is the Patriot Seahawks. And this comes again from running a book. And I remember sitting there at my desk, I have in, because we have a lot of money on the Seahawks. And one of the biggest bet props that year was under one and a half yards rushing for the shortest touchdown. And they're on the one yard line. And we had Marshall, Sean Lynch, to score just going here it is they're going to hand it to lynch we're going to get beat there's so much money changing sides and when they threw the interception uh, it was shocking i had the under already in my computer ready to hit enter because i was so convinced they would run the ball and that was a swing of a lot of money uh, and so that's very memorable. The Patriots Falcons with the big comeback mm -hmm. was exciting. The second half, but the first half of that game was pretty boring. And, and my last one I really liked was the Rams Bengals, just seeing Joe Burrow take a team with the worst offensive line in football into the Super Bowl, challenge the Rams, have a shot come up short. So those are the Super Bowls for me, but it's hard for me to pick one. Well, and people of a certain age, remember uh, we, we've been spoiled in modern times. For years, the Super Bowl was a blowout, and that was the big joke. And and for years, we all prayed the commercials would be great. And we have had some really great games uh, just this century, if we just narrow it down. Uh, we got to get right to the Super Bowl, and, and we kind of came up with a way that we want to just break this down. We're going we're gonna to go through one by one, and we'll alternate who goes first. Uh, various facets of the game, basically under the guise of which team has the edge. And then at the end, obviously who wins and why. So we start with this email. 
from uh, Sean, which it picks up on yesterday's conversation about uh, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Sean says, my criticism of Shanahan is one. He often outcoaches himself and abandons what they do best, looking to catch the other team by surprise. And two, he seems to have this mentality that there is a secret number of points to go into prevent to prevent def- defense mode and three out of and three out mode. So it, it, so he's he doesn't like the way Shanahan responds to the to the prevent defense and the three and out mode. And he says it's Mahomes and there cannot be too many points. He needs to have the step on the throat mentality. Well, yes, I would hope that he would consider to or continue to try to score against the Chiefs. But that brings us to category one, Steve. You get to go first. When it comes to coaching, who has the edge? I give the the edge to Andy Reid. Uh, the yeah. experience he has having been in the Super Bowl, I love his ability to adjust, you know, during the course of the game to what the other team is giving them. You know, Kyle Shanahan, I think, is a great coach, but he hasn't shown he can win the big game. So for me, Andy Reid, his experience, his ability to adjust gives him the edge. Basically the same answer, but I expanded it a little bit. Andy Reid has the track record. Uh, Spags is one of the best. And even though he's not the one flaw in that defense uh, is the running game, I'm not convinced he won't be able to figure out a way to put something in place on Sunday. You can't say he's one of the best about defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes for the 49ers. There's been a drop-off this year. And something we were talking about the last couple days about Kyle Shanahan and how this game matters so much to solidifying him as one of the best coaches in the game, that he can win the big game, that he won't let it get away from him at the end, get, get out of his, his father's uh, shadow. We, we didn't mention what I think a lot of – I think what you and I might think a lot of people know is the 49ers do not have an offensive coordinator. He's it. I mean, this game – is on Kyle Shanahan in its entirety on the offensive side of the ball, partly on the defensive side of the ball because he's the head coach. This is all on Shanahan. The edge does go to uh, the Chiefs when it comes to coaching. Our next category is quarterback. I have a very simple answer. If we're just saying when it comes to quarterback, who has the edge? Patrick Mahomes is the best in the game. Edge to the Chiefs. End of my answer. I agree with you. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. You know, I've been saying all year he's he's magic. He he is incredible to watch. I, I love watching him play. Brock Purdy, though, has had a great year. I think Purdy has more offensive weapons here, but of the two quarterbacks, hands down, Patrick Mahomes. And I, I yes, and, and I, I do appreciate uh, throughout this whole time, Steve, you, you get a little protective of Brock Purdy because he's getting – pilloried and I, I it is absolutely unfair I am not on the anti-Brock Purdy train as I've said earlier on the show uh, the only thing that really matters in the end is that when he had to the end of the Packers playoff game the end of the Lions playoff game he pulled it together and he did what he had to do I think to win the Lions game didn't he go six to seven he had that run he, he does it he, he's there but if all we're doing is saying who's got the edge at quarterback hello Patrick Mahomes he's the best in the game uh, next up you go first, Steve. Overall offense, just who has the edge? There's so many facets to offense, and obviously we'll do the same thing with defense, but when you look at the two units, Niners and Chiefs, overall offense, what do you got? I think it's the 49ers. They just have so many offensive weapons. When you look at Ayuk, Samuel, Kittle, you know, and Jawan Jennings, I think is a underrated wide receiver. Christian McCaffrey is the best non-quarterback on offense in the NFL. He is unbelievable. You know, even Elijah Mitchell has shown he can contribute. Not knocking the Chiefs, you know, but when you look at Ayuk and Samuel and Kittle, yes, there's Kelsey who matches up great, but then you're down to Rashi Rice, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, the the Depth for the Chiefs and the quality at wide receivers to me is the big difference in this offense, along with just Christian McCaffrey. So for me, I really like the 49ers, and I think there's a a substantial difference in the offense, but Mahomes makes up a good amount of that difference. That that is so funny, and this will surprise no one, especially you, Steve. Uh, But I I just like I just made notes, you know, just to make sure I, I had everything. And and the way you started, this was my note. Niners have way more weapons. Demo, McCaffrey, IU, Kittle, and even Jennings. It's like the exact same train of thought. Um, and then when you when it comes to the Chiefs' offense, Mahomes is the offense. Yeah, I know. I know Travis Kelsey. Yeah, Hall of Fame tight ender and his favorite weapon. But Mahomes is the offense, and and that is the X factor when it comes to the Chiefs' offense. But the way I look at it is, 
if you're just saying who has the edge, you cannot ignore the embarrassment of riches that the Niners have with all of those targets. The edge has to go to the Niners. And I agree with you. It's a big edge. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes mm. is the equalizer there. Which brings us to uh, the overall uh, the defense. And, see, for me as a Niner fan, the answer should be the Niners. Um, but their pass ru- rush has been shaky. Nick Bosa has not been Nick Bosa this year. He's still a great player, but his, his I think he's he's 10 sacks this year instead of 18, something like that. Um, they are not stopping the run. And in fact, the one the one stat that I saw that just kind of drove me crazy was on third and short or fourth and short. They allowed this year 80% conversion rates on third or fourth and two or less. And that is not that, that is not acceptable, and it's also not the Niners' defense. Now, the Chiefs, they have this. I looked this up just to make sure I wasn't talking out my butt. The Chiefs have their best defense defense statistically in the Mahomes era, but they are weak against the run. So, now I don't know if you're going to let me get away with this, Steve. Uh, and I'll change my answer if you insist. The way I look at it is if the Niners' defense shows up, if the, the, if the midseason Niners' defense shows up, the edge goes to the Niners'. I haven't seen that in going back to the, at least the Christmas game. So my answer right now, unless you yell at me, it's a draw. I can see a draw, and I agree with you. If the 49ers defense shows up, especially in that defensive line, because that's where they have to make it all happen like they did earlier on in the season, then I give the edge to the 49ers. But you have to go with what what and how they're playing right now. I mean, this Chiefs defense is playing great football. I think the edge for the front seven goes to the 49ers. But where the Chiefs really make up with it is in that secondary with Sneed McDuffie. I mean, McDuffie is a shutdown corner. So I expect him to go up against either Ayuk or Samuel and be able to take care of him one-on-one, which normally Samuel's double-teamed. Legereus Sneed is also a really good corner, which I think will be able to take the other wide receiver out of this, which leaves Kittle to be a big part, along with McCaffrey coming out of the backfield. And that's where I think, you know, looking at it, for Jennings really needs to step up and have a big game for the 49ers. But the ability for the Chiefs to take the Niners wide receivers out of this and I just love what Spagnuolo has done with this defense. I give a slight edge to the Chiefs because of the way they're playing right now, their secondary, and the fact that the 49ers defensive line has not been playing well the last month plus. But if the Niners defensive line shows up, like you said, in midseason, I do believe the Niners defense has more talent. So let's circle back then to our comparison of the, the offenses because the old adage is, Great defense stops great offense. That's been true in the NFL uh, for for decades. Uh, It's true in baseball, they say. Great pitching stops great offense. But in this example, we go back to why we gave the Niners, both of us gave the Niners the edge. So they can take out Debo and they can take out Ayuk. Go back to the weapons list, as you mentioned. McCaffrey, Kittle, who I think is going to have a huge game, if it goes to 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 play and Jennings, there's still three guys that are that are better than good that that Purdy can look to. And that it that, as I said earlier, that embarrassment of riches, it comes down to is the Chiefs pass defense good enough to stop this offense that has so many things it can do. And that's the reason I like the 49ers. Yes, yeah. they have some depth on this Chiefs. I just don't think they can take away all the 49ers weapons on offense. And and that's why I would give the edge in this game to the 49ers with that, because their offense, I think helps offset that chiefs defense. I think the Niners offense is a lot better, but Patrick Mahomes, I think the Niners defense is actually better than the chiefs, but the way they're playing right now, I give the slight edge to the chiefs. And that's how I break it down. So overall, I do believe the Niners are the better team. And and I, I can make the intelligent, non-paranoid fan case as to why this game really does come down to this particular area that we're talking about in terms of the Niners being able to utilize and find these offensive weapons. Because if the defense can't stop Mahomes and it just becomes a shootout, 
the Niners should win based on all of those weapons. And so I, I can see how that edge plays more towards the Niners and a Niners victory. The next category, which I, 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 only, I focused on only one area uh, when it came to this, but you get to go first, Steve, on special teams. I give a big edge to the Kansas City Chiefs here. When you're talking about a reliable kicker and Harrison Butker, you know, versus Jake Moody, Butker is one of the best kickers in the NFL. And that's the part that worries me because if the 49ers are not able to score touchdowns in the red zone and have to rely on field goals, you can't tell me as a 49ers fan, you're not on the edge of your seat just going, please, please, please make this field goal. Where the Chiefs, Look, if they get stalled, and they have to be better at scoring touchdowns in the red zone also because they've really had to settle for a lot of field goals. But with the Chiefs, you expect Butker to make that field goal, even if he's kicking it from 55 yards out, and you can't say the same thing for the 49ers. So to me, the special teams, when you look at kickers, gives the big edge to the Chiefs. Punters, pretty close to the same, you know, Kick returners, not exactly sure. There's talk Kadarius Tony might be returning for the Chiefs. I don't think he's even going to suit up for this game. So I'd give a slight advantage to the 49ers with Ray Raven Cloud. But for me, it's really in that kicker position. So I didn't even really bother with kick returns and punting for the reasons you kind of alluded to. And one of the things that bothers me about the NFL, uh, the punters are, this, are to me, they're a wash. Um, the kick returns are, are extinct in the NFL. I hate that. Used to be the most exciting play of the game. It rarely happens. Um, and punt returns, yeah, okay, man. It, it's just, it's just to me, I, I, I did, no surprise here, I did what you did. It's all about kicking. And I will answer your question. As a 49er fan, if the game is in Jake Moody's hands, we're, we're screwed. Um, it, 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 and, and it's, to me, it's, it's a combination of the things that you brought up. It's like, uh, does, is Jake Moody... Is he an albatross or is Harrison Butker that good? The answer is yes to both because Moody, 21 out of 26 field goals this year, and he missed some really big ones. Um, he's fine on extra points, but the one that stands out with, with Butker is he has, he has the second highest field goal success rate in NFL history in his career. That is extraordinary. And he has never missed in the postseason. He's already got two rings. Massive. Massive edge to the Chiefs, and yes, this is this is on that list of things that scare me if this game turns out being close, or God forbid, like you said, if the Niners can't convert and they're relying on field goals, you, you've got to be able to, to, to at least know, yes, this is three points, but worst case scenario, we have a situation where the Niners drive down the field, they need a field goal to win. I'm not, my stomach's going to be in knots if that's, if that's the case, and I, that goes back to the, the, the Niners need to not let it come to that. Um, absolutely. They need the touchdowns, not yeah, the field. Absolutely. So, okay, we decided to on a, a category that we're calling the X factor where we pick a player from each team. So we'll do it team by team. So I'll start with my, my X factor for the Niners is a name that has not been mentioned yet at all. Kyle Juszczyk, best fullback in the league. One of only like half a dozen fullbacks, true real fullbacks, in the league. The reason I think he could be the X factor, because you I could say Kittle, because I think Kittle is, is going to play a big role, but he's not somebody under our, our description of he's not somebody that's nobody's talking about. Everybody's talking about Kittle and, and Samuel and, and and McCaffrey. Use check is is kind the Niners have kind of a running back version of a decoy system because Everybody knows McCaffrey's going to get the ball. Everybody's trying to stop McCaffrey. And if, we, if we're in a situation where the Niners are, uh, are, are within the five, five yards to the, to the goal line, everybody thinks you're going you're gonna to dump it off, you're going to hand it off to McCaffrey, and everybody hopefully loses attention to Juszczyk. You hand it to Juszczyk, and he plows in. I think and hope that Juszczyk will get at least one rushing touchdown in, in that vein. And I, that, that's the guy that I pointed to for the Niners that could really surprise. I was going to do Jennings. But I went with use check instead. We're close on the same page there, but yeah. I did go Jennings. <laughs> you know, the thing for me is Jennings is a big time pass blocker for wide receiver. You don't see it. I really think that 
you know, he needs to step up because the Niners are going to have to run the ball. They need that. And the thing I love about Jennings blocking is he never eases up. He'll take his, his guy to the woodshed. If that's what he's doing, he goes the entire time. I also think he's talented and he's a pretty good wide receiver. He's got good hands. So for me, it's Jennings with that pass blocking ability from a wide receiver to really help open things up for the 49ers running game. Now, this is a goofy one uh, for the Chiefs as the X Factor guy, but I just I, you 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 alluded to him. I couldn't resist because I, I think Jadarius Tony is the X Factor for the Chiefs in this way. I don't know what's going on with this guy. I don't think any of us do. He's mixed six games in a row. He seemingly trashed the Chiefs in a social media post. Then he came out last week and said, "No, I was talking about something else that made no sense." Andy Reid this week when he was asked about it. Gave the uh, the classic, well, we'll see what happens answer, which is not exactly a, a brand of confidence from, from Andy Reid. But I wonder, I, see, my gut is, Steve, he won't even suit up. The reason he would be the X Factor in that way is what's the drama when they tell him you're not even suiting up? And when do they tell him? And does that create any issues in the locker room? And if he does suit up, it's not like he was he was having a great season when he was playing. He cost the Chiefs two games, in your opinion, I believe. So I just threw that one in there because it might might turn out to be nothing. I expect it will, but I just thought it was kind of a goofy way to mention the Jadarius Tony storyline, and it would be interesting if they did let him suit up. Yeah, I don't think he's going to suit up. If they did let him suit up, I think it, his whole role will be as a punt returner. You know, he's very good at that. Uh, but I was reading, I think, last night or the day before that Sky Moore, the wide receiver for the Chiefs who has been out, is suddenly practicing, and it looks like he may be a game-time decision. And if Sky Moore can go at all, that really is the final nail in the coffin for Tony. There's no chance he's dressing up if Sky Moore dresses for this game. But for me, the the, the wild card is Marquez Valdez Scantling. He's the mm. guy they brought in to be the deep threat, to try to be the Tyreek Hill. I think that 49ers secondary can be beat. And if Mahomes is able to connect on a couple of big pass plays to Scantling, that could cause some serious problems for the Niners. So for me, we all know Travis Kelsey's the go-to guy. Rasheed Rice is a guy that is now the number one there. But man, if the Chiefs can get a second wide receiver going in a Scantling with some deep throws, that could be tough for the 49ers to overcome. All right, before we get to the big question, a couple of emails uh, that have come in as we've been breaking things down, RAD at radradio.com. Eric wrote in and said, to add to what Rob said, Juice is so underrated as a runner and pass catcher as well. They don't use him that way at all. But if they really wanted slash needed to, he is also way better than just good in those areas. True. And the Niners are yak pigs and and yards after catch is a big deal for all of those names that we mentioned and if they can just figure out that that Chiefs pass defense that you were describing Steve and get to those weapons that's where the Niners get really dangerous on offense is the yak oh without a doubt that's what they've lived on all season they led the NFL in yards after catch you know or after first contact type of thing um so the Chiefs really have to be able to make those open field tackles. You saw it late in the Lions 49ers game. Mm. You know, early on, the Lions were making those tackles. The second half, you know, the 49ers were breaking those tackles, which is what they do, getting all those additional yards, and the Chiefs just cannot let that happen. Another email from uh, Jeremy came into RAD at radradio.com. Says the one thing the Niners are very good at are their, are their second-half comebacks. I mean, hell. Two weeks ago, they were down 24-7 to at halftime, and they came back to win it. However, in order for that to work against the Chiefs, they have to be within, I believe, three points in order to have a chance to make a second-half comeback in this game. The Chiefs, on paper, are the underdog just due to their offense alone. The Niner defense has been struggling extremely bad with their front-floor pass rush, but they've also struggled, struggled in the secondary. The A little bit with the injuries that they've had this season in their linebacker core with Greenlaw. I mean, he's getting there in the backfield but he's not a very big factor anymore these last few games, right? That's what I was alluding to is if, if the Niners midseason defense shows up, we're good. If it's the defense of the last six weeks, not so good. And, and touching on the comeback, yes, the 49ers last couple of weeks have played great, and the Niners are a good comeback team, but the Chiefs, I mean, Patrick Mahomes to me is the best quarterback at bringing his team back. I mean, they're down 17, and the Chiefs still don't blink, and Mahomes is able to find a way. And even if the 49ers are up 
the Chiefs have the ball late in the game in the scenario that I've talked to Rob about in the past, you know, are you confident that the 49ers defense on that last drive, here it is, Chiefs score, they win, don't score, they lose. Are you confident that the 49ers defense can hold them and stop the Chiefs from winning? Which brings us to which team wins and why. I think you've kind of danced around and alluded to it, but you go first on this one, Steve. I like the 49ers. uh, As I've said all year, I believe they're the best team in the NFL. I think they have the most weapons here. I have confidence that their defense is going to step up. And believe it or not, I have confidence that Kyle Shanahan is going to come up with a game plan that is going to allow the 49ers to move the ball and score, win in the red zone, touchdowns, not necessarily field goals. I think the game will be close. I have the final score being 27-21 with the 49ers winning on a late touchdown as the Chiefs take the lead 21-20 in the fourth quarter to put the 49ers fans on edge. Niners score, and then the Niners defense steps up, holds Mahomes on the last drive for the 49ers to win. Yeah, I hate that last part of that scenario where where the the where I have to sit there and think, oh, great, we gave Mahomes whatever, 48 seconds, a minute and 20 and and I'm already predicting a loss at that point, but uh, I'm not as nervous as I was yesterday. I'd love to say that uh, the 49ers will win because Steve said so, and I do want to remind everyone, you said so. It's on the record. Before the season started, you said Niners Chiefs and Niners win, and even in the middle of the season when the Chief, we were sitting here going, this Chiefs offense is not the Chiefs. Uh, you stuck with your, you stuck with everything all the way through. Um, I, I, the scenario that really gets me is two things that that we've alluded to or mentioned. I do think that Shanahan is smart enough to know what this game means in so many ways. And I do think, I know he's a genius when it comes to offense. And I think he'll step up. And I believe in the scenario that we laid out, that Niners offense with all of those weapons, it will overcome the Chiefs' pass defense. And 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 that Purdy will find a way to, to get to them. And the biggest thing is the thing that you said all year, Steve, Although it was uh, it was Kittle, I think, uh, Wednesday, he didn't fully practice or whatever. The Niners are healthy. They are healthy. They're well-rested. There's no indication of any issues. As long as there's not something uh, devastating during the game, they've got all their weapons. They're at peak performance. And I do think there's a chip on their shoulder for the off-the-field stuff. I think the Niners, they're, they're professionally handling it in public, but I think they are they are starting to feel like, What's going on here? Crappy practice facilities. The the Chiefs are saying the Raiders practice facilities are the best in the league. Our fire alarms going off at the hotel. And oh, by the way, no one is picking them to win. It is ridiculous when you look at ESPN, USA Today. It is overwhelmingly the Chiefs. And that's the other reason I think the Niners will win. I always go against the crowd because I just don't think conventional thinking uh, wins usually. So I say Niners as well. And I just really hope for me selfishly it's not as close as everyone else wants it to be. We got some emails about our thoughts and uh, other things to talk about right after this. Mix Picks, the Mix Pick Sports Show. You can email us rad at radradio.com. Got a few that came in, uh, including uh, Richard wrote in. You can watch us on Rad TV at members.radradio.com. Uh, and he says simply, Steve, I love the attire. Raiders, as well as my favorite team, is the NFC in the Lions. Uh, is the Lions. So he's got an a- NFC team, the same as you, Steve. Uh, and the uh, Raiders, you, you know, same thing because you're there in Vegas. And he says, I can't wait for this game, meaning the Super Bowl. Would it be great if the Raiders played the Lions in a Super Bowl? Um, sure. I mean, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, an outside advisor on that. It would, it would be if the NFL, uh, well, I mean, I don't want to wait this long. If the NFL does what you and I want, which is to put Vegas in the permanent rotation and the game was in Vegas. And then, then, then everybody's going to wonder, how are you not going to go to the Super Bowl? But we've already talked about actually going to the game. Um, we got this one from Jeremy. Steve, to answer what you just said. No, I don't trust the Niner defense to hold if they give Mahomes the ball. I think it's going to come down, honestly, to whoever has the ball last more than likely wins this game. And there's a prop out there was, will the last play of the game be a quarterback rush, which is basically the kneel down? So it's one of those who has the ball last in the game. That is one of the betting props that are offered. I, I, I It's hard for me to argue with that theory, I, I only because – it's a great story, your your little fairy tale of uh, of the Niners go ahead and then the defense holds and stops Mahomes. 
but I think the smart money would be on whoever has the ball last wins. If we assume the game's going to be as close and, and as good as, as is expected, which kind of brings us back to uh, we were talking about best Super Bowls of all time. And, Steve, you kind of rattled off half a dozen because it was hard for you to pick. Uh, and uh, the one that caught Randall's ear was uh, Super Bowl 38, where the Patriots beat the Panthers uh, 32-29. He says Carolina in that Super Bowl scored to take the lead and then kicked off out of bounds to give Brady a short field. I didn't remember that until he wrote in. That was that was right there was the nail in the coffin. Exactly. Again, you don't give Tom oh. Brady any time on the clock either, let alone time on the clock and great field <laughs> position to start the drive. Two huge mistakes. Um, Anna wrote in and uh, said, I just finished yesterday's episode. I don't have a question. I just had to say, wow, Steve. That list of odds you rambled off favoring the Chiefs was one hell of a back down to earth slap in the face of a reality check. The hype and support for the Niners, the coverage of it is so immense. And I admit, I was already starting to float up to cloud nine like we had already won the Super Bowl. I guess I just wanted to thank you for figuratively slapping me out of it. Any given Sunday, anything can happen. And some of us needed the reminder. But to defy all those odds and win, that would be incredibly Sweet. That that might be another kind of a, my thinking reason that I ultimately was able to come to the conclusion the Niners will win. Every expert says they won't. You rattled off historical facts related to everything from gambling to scoring to winning that was just like a gut punch after a gut punch in favor of the Chiefs. And I just think that the I just think the Niners they can't they can't let it can't let it get away again. No, they can't. Uh, you know, a couple of things to put you at ease, though, is for the most part, it is the 49ers versus the world. So <laughs> absolutely the public and everyone is on the Chiefs in this game. And to back that up, I believe 70% of all the tickets right now that have been bet are coming in on the Chiefs. So it is a much, much more than normal, oh. very much public on the Chiefs, Kelsey, Swift, all of that stuff. So Niners versus the world. I'll take the 49ers because normally the public is wrong. So you asked me yesterday, you tried to get me to get into that space of what would it feel like if the Niners won? And I, I, I just actually had this thought right before we started the show today. You as a fan of the, of the game, how would you feel if the Chiefs won? Do you go into, wow, dynasty mode? Because we kind of talked about that earlier in the week. Or are you the guy that goes more towards, I'm tired of the Chiefs. Like we had to deal with, you know, the Patriots and, and a lot of fans for really almost two decades. I think I'm a little bit of both. One, even if the Chiefs lose, I think we're already looking at a dynasty mode because with Patrick Mahomes there, I find it hard to believe if Andy Reid sticks around that the Chiefs aren't going to win another Super Bowl at some time in the next few years. So I think the Chiefs are already there. The, the 49ers... I really would like to see this happen for them. You know, as we've talked about, it's been 30 years since they've won. Um, and yes, I do fall into the hater part. I, I mean, you know, living in Reno in the 80s, early 90s, et cetera, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, man, it was tough. I just got tired of all the 49er fans, <laughs> you know, with their winning and being a Lions fan, it was tough. You know, I didn't mind the Patriots, though, in their long run and all their Super Bowl championships because I respected what Belichick and Brady were doing. So I do tend to dislike popular teams out there. I also do respect what they've accomplished. So it makes it a little bit more difficult for me to just flat out hate them. And if the scenario is the Chiefs win, you know, I, as a fan, I can go, wow, that's that's very impressive. Uh, yeah, 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 dynasty. But I go to what we were doing yesterday. I would flip it to back being a Niner fan and start doing the conversation that you and I were doing about, okay, is Shanahan the guy for us moving forward? By the way, real quick, Steve, because just in case they were to do it right after the game, we got to make our official predictions too. Does Andy Reid retire after the, after the game, whether it's after the game or next week, and does Travis Kelsey retire? I believe if the Chiefs win, Travis Kelsey retires. If they lose, he doesn't, and I think Jason doesn't retire as well. I, I really believe they are they are hand-in-hand hand on, on that. I'm going to say Reid doesn't retire either way. I am with you mostly. If the Chiefs win, I do think Travis and Jason both walk away. But if the Chiefs win, I do believe Andy Reid's going to walk away as wow. well. Wow. I believe if the Chiefs lose, all of them will come back. Jason will play for the Eagles another year to see what the Eagles could do because they're close. They have a lot of talent on that team. 
They just got to figure out their coaching staff. I mean, going into the year, losing their offense and defense coordinators really showed up this year. Nick Sirianni was not able to right the ship. He's got to figure it out because I think his job could be in jeopardy next year if he can't figure it out. But I think Jason would like to come back if Travis is going to play. Mm -hmm. I do think there's something to that, both of them going into the Hall of Fame together, because I believe both players are first ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah. They're both going to go in, and that would be really cool to see brothers go in the same year. Um, no surprise, right? Uh, the uh, NFL MVP award, Lamar Jackson, two-time winner. Uh, he got 49 out of 50 first-place votes, but it's the MVP for the regular season. Um, we all expected that. That, to me, is a non-story story. Yeah, it's really not. Actually, the one I paid the most attention to was the comeback player yes, of the year. Yes. And you look at it, Hamlin got 21 out of the 26 first place mm -mm, votes. Mm -mm. And understand his story is a great story, but it wasn't like he really contributed on the field. It was a case of comeback player because he was able to play in the NFL. But Joe Flacco pulled almost all of the second place votes for those people who voted for you know, Hamlin as the first place vote. So in the end, even though he did not get anywhere near as many first place votes, Joe Flacco was the comeback player of the year, which I believe he deserved because take, I mean, he was the Browns fourth string quarterback to lead him to that record, put him in the playoffs. Uh, it's an incredible story. I don't like the Joe Flacco pick. I look, I, the, we had, we talked about this when the, the nominees came out, Hamlin, amazing story, but, no, it, it, he he was not a, a he was a presence only kind of emotionally. Flacco was unsigned through late November, and and when, when these nominees first came out, I said it pained me. Baker Mayfield was the comeback player of the year. He played his best football by far and got his team into the playoffs. Oh, and he played the whole season. Yes, but think about it. Rolling off the couch, you are basically retired from football, and to come in and lead that team into the playoffs. I get the Baker Mayfield, you know, and they did win a playoff game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I lean to Flacco because this guy rolled off the couch and produced. All right. So, um, Football Hall of Fame. We got the 2024 class. Uh, I'll rattle them off and tell you what I have a problem with, and then you can do whatever you want with it. Julius Peppers, 17-year uh, NFL career, nine-time pro ball pick. Only player in NFL history to post 100 sacks, 10 interceptions. Perfect. He should. Uh, be in Devin Hester. I was so glad to see Devin Hester get in. It was his third time best NFL kick returner in history. And I thought they were going to overlook him. Dwight Freeney, Super Bowl champ with the Colts, 125 and a half career sacks. I don't have any argument there. Uh, Patrick Willis. Hello. He's a niner and he was a presence as a linebacker. Good choice. I cannot believe Antonio Gates did not get in. I know it's only his first year. I thought for sure as a guy who has more touchdowns than any tight end in NFL history, Antonio Gates goes in right away. I thought Antonio Gates would get in. Um, you know, I know you were so happy to see Devin Hester. I'm still hesitant. The only thing, he, and don't get me wrong. I mean, he had 14 punt returns for TDs, five kickoff returns for TDs. He was electric when returning the ball. But that's all he did. It, yes. He was a wide receiver who never <laughs> produced as a wide receiver. He didn't do anything else. And I was just a little taken back on that with the Devin Hester special teams guy getting into the Hall of Fame. And then when you say over Antonio Gates, yeah. who I believe should have gotten in, really? I, I would have taken Gates over Hester all day long. I was trying to not look at it as an either or like that. And I, I admit part of my bias is what I alluded to earlier. I am so bitter over the 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 complete squashing of the return game uh, in the NFL, whether it's kickoffs or even punts. It's an afterthought. And Devin Hester was like the most electric guy, as you said, when it was a thing. And and so I was just I was happy from a very selfish standpoint. Let me squeeze in one more story here, Steve, from the NFL. A totally out of character moment for the uh, the owner of the New York Jets, Woody Johnson. He gave a, an interview last night. He's in Vegas, like most of the NFL is, and he said he's angry. Uh, at the, the the Jets going seven and ten, and he basically issued a playoff mandate for Coach Robert Sala and the general manager Joe Douglas. Uh, the Jets, by the way, have the longest playoff drought amongst the major sports league in North America, thirteen seasons. He basically pulled. I mean, he went further than Jerry Jones did. I mean, Jerry Jones said we're all in. He he McCarthy's in the last year of his contract. You keep uh, alluding. 
uh, to the Eagles as well. But, I mean, Woody Johnson, he, he ripped Zach Wilson. He basically said we didn't have a backup quarterback. He, I guess, is kind of disregarding that Aaron Rodgers just got hurt in the very first series of the season. He says, look, if we don't get into the playoffs, I'm cleaning house. Yeah, it was a surprising statement because, again, he disregarded the Aaron Rodgers going down in the first drive of the season. You, you know, the Jets were not prepared for that. And then to rip Zach Wilson, you got to believe his days are done in New York. And if I'm Zach Wilson, I want out of there as well. Because when the owner comes out and says, we didn't have a backup quarterback on the team, we all know who that was pointed at. at uh, the Jets got to produce. But you're not taking it into consideration injuries. I mean, that's part of the game as well. You have key injuries like they had last year. You're not going to make the playoffs if it's at positions such as the quarterback, et cetera, that we saw. But Sala, you know, he's he's been warned. Here it is. And there's so many things coming out of that Jets organization mm -hmm. that they've given Aaron Rodgers way too much control. Yeah. He's dictating everything. <laughs> and there's those who are in Rodgers' camp, those that are against it. Way too much is going on with the Jets for me to feel confident that they're going to have a great year with Aaron Rodgers. So if I'm Sala, I'm worried for my job at this point because yep. – Kind of, it appears this team's a train wreck. Uh, the Sacramento Kings play two of the best teams in the NBA this weekend. We'll talk about it next. Mix Picks, the Mix Pick Sports Show. Let's go! One more on the, the Super Bowl. Uh, we, we are going, we touched on this a little. We are going to dive into things like this uh, as the season comes to an end in the NFL and we look at uh, the teams that matter. But uh, Dan wanted to raise the issue of with how humble and about the team Brock Purdy has been, do you think? he will be able to negotiate a new contract. Do you think he will take a team-friendly contract to help keep most of the talent around him at the time? As I said, we'll do a deep dive on this, but we, we kind of alluded to this earlier in the week, Steve, and you made the point that, okay, Brock Purdy goes out, he wins a Super Bowl, everybody thinks, oh, he's got to get paid now. The Niners got to step back and look at how they keep all of their already well-paid talent moving forward, and they don't dismantle the team if something like that happens, which is why... We can get, we'll give like a 30-second answer here. Yeah, this is, we're going to have to really look at these contracts that the Niners have to deal with. No, absolutely. And Brock Purdy's only in the second year of his contract. The team yeah. owns the rights for a fifth-year option. So he's under control with the 49ers for five years, three more seasons after this. I think it'd be a mistake for the 49ers to go deep into their pockets and give him a huge contract at this point because that rookie quarterback contract is one of the things that gives the 49ers their advantage over other teams because they're not paying at that position. Do I believe the 49ers should somehow figure out how to kick a nice bonus to Brock Purdy yeah. and make him happy so when it comes contract negotiations, you know, they're in a good spot for both of them players to be happy and the team to be happy so i would look at kicking him a bonus somehow but i would never be looking at restructuring his contract and paying him when i still have team control for three more years yeah he made 870 grand this year he will make 985 next season 1.1 million i mean these are not you know a super winning quarterback numbers but that's that's there are ways around the cap lynch is very uh, creative there's things that they can do and i think that they will uh, they will do that we're going to jump to basketball for a few minutes here uh I, I'm not a big college women's basketball fan, but I have always loved and respected the story of uh, Gino Oriema, the head coach of UConn. It's like, just as a sports fan, you're watching U ESPN every year, and it's like, what is with this UConn team? Uh, and uh, Oriema won his 1,200th career game Wednesday. Uh, he is the third coach in Division One basketball history to reach 1,200 wins. Of course, uh, Coach K and Stanford's uh, Vanderveer, uh, she's the leader at 12.06 and uh, Coach K at 12.02. The thing that, that stood out to everybody was in his post-game conference, he was asked about how long he might continue to coach, saying he won't be adding hundreds of more wins, but, quote, more along the line of single digits. And everybody's thinking, did Gino Oriema just pull a, a Nick Saban and basically say, I'm going to retire? I think that's exactly what he's saying, unless he's really creative on how to renegotiate that contract and say, look, I'm walking away at this end of the year unless you figure out a way you know, to pay me and make me happy uh, to continue coaching. The thing that gets me is his 1,200 wins is he's done it all with UConn. It's not like he played it. Right. You know, He coached at other universities. It's all with one university. He turned that 
that university into a power program. I mean, every year, granted, they haven't been the elite team they had been the last couple of years. But, man, for many, many, many years, when you think of college women's basketball, UConn is at the top of that list. And, I mean, dude's 71. He can do whatever he wants. And there's another story of, do you really want to be the coach after that guy? <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> um, did you Do you agree with uh, sports media, Steve? It's, uh, it's unanimous. The New York Knicks won the trade deadline. I think the Knicks had a really good, you know, trade deadline. They went out and picked up. Uh, you, you know, a couple of outside shooters, which is what they really needed in Alec Burks and Bojan Bogdanovich. Um, it really helped them. But I, I think, you know, I like the Sixers move, getting Buddy healed. They mm -hmm. really need an outside presence. You know, they picked him up. Uh, you know, the Bucks didn't really address a whole lot. A lot of these teams really were just dumping things off. But the Mavs, one of the problems with the Mavs has been their size. They go and pick up Gafford. You know, he's going to become a starting center for him. They picked up P.J. Washington, who's a power forwarder. He could also possibly move into that starting lineup. So it's hard for me to just say the Knicks when I'm looking at the Mavs, who may have added two starting players into that team. And right now, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving are playing so well. They add some size in there in the middle. To me, I kind of like what the Mavs did. I saw half a dozen, and I went back. I round my diver after like the third time I'd seen this. Half a dozen sports media talking head guys, you know, guys like us. They're not from New York. They don't live in New York. So I discounted those guys. I, I put them in. And half a it was six different guys who said, as a result of the trade deadline, they put the Knicks in the NBA championship. I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm not ready to go there yet. Yes, Julius Randle's down right now. He will be back, but they're picked up two players from the Pistons, a seven-win <laughs> team. Are, are they really going to – you know, if that's the case, you're saying, boy, the Pistons really misused these guys because if they would have used them right, they would absolutely be a playoff contender. I just don't see it. Yes, they are quality pieces. Yes, they fit with what the Knicks need to do and their weakness – for being able to shoot from outside, but to say they are now the, the, you know, in the NBA finals, I'm just not ready to go there. Perfect lead in into the fact that the Sacramento Kings came home off a pretty good road trip and laid an egg losing to the aforementioned worst team in the NBA, the Detroit Pistons. And now they got to take on this weekend, two of the best in the NBA tonight. They are still home and the Kings host the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, right now the Kings are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The Nuggets are playing a back-to-back. -back. They had a tough game against the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers yeah. tied the game up at 104-104, about two minutes to go in the game. And then the Nuggets just took over. Murray hit a big three, uh, which, you know, propelled to that win. So you got to figure the Nuggets played some serious minutes and hopefully are a little bit tired here. Kings, this is kind of a must-win. And I know it's the NBA season, but, man, this is a huge game for the Kings. They really need the win here to right the ship. But to do that, they're going to have to be able to hit from outside. Their three-point ball has not been falling like it did earlier in the season, and they've struggled with it the last several games. They need to be able to hit that, you know, shoot over 40% from three. But I like the, the Kings in this game because – I'm not a big fan of teams in the second day of a back-to-back, -back, which the Nuggets playing yesterday, playing here again. Um, so the Kings, it's all there for them. I also like, I, I think the Kings, the way they spoke after that loss to the, the Pistons all the way up to Coach Brown, I think that they really want to prove something tonight. I think they want to come out and say, hey, sorry, nothing to see here. What what we showed you against Detroit is not who we are. And, and Super Bowl Sunday – is super exciting if you're a Celtic fan or a Heat fan or an Oklahoma City fan or a Kings fan because at noon on Sunday, that's three hours before uh, the real pregame show, kickoffs at 3.30, uh, the Kings, they're on the road on Super Bowl Sunday, but again, they're, they're against another one, Oklahoma City. Yeah, Oklahoma City last year really started showing how good they are. They got a lot of good young talent on that team. That's a tough spot for the Kings. You know, it's a noon game, so we'll get to see it before the Super Bowl. What a nice way to, you know, <laughs> head into the Super Bowl after that win. Uh, but for me, 
the Kings, and this, again, just shows why I think this is a must-win game, because if the Kings lose tonight to the Nuggets and then go on the road, you got to believe the critics are going to start popping up everywhere on what's wrong with the Kings, what's going on here, and you really don't want to hear that. So they need to get a nice win tonight against the Nuggets, go on the road, because I'm not sure they can win that game on the road. Shea Gilgis Alexander is just phenomenal. G'day has had a great year. They have so many players on that Thunders team that just can step up and score. They went out and they picked up Gordon Hayward, uh, a wing who can score. The big question there is his health. But also, if you're looking to bet in the NBA, say today, the thing you have to keep in mind is all those players that were traded yesterday still will not be with the team. So you saw the Knicks play last night with only eight players on the, the bench because they've traded you know, several of their bench depth to the Pistons in that trade to get those two guys. So right now it's tough because all these players have to be cleared past physicals and all those different th things before they can play for those teams. So you got to be careful that you're not betting a team that's shorthanded. The other thing about the importance of the game for the Kings tonight uh, as they host the Nuggets, they not only go on the road Super Bowl Sunday, they're at Oklahoma City. They get a day off, and then they have back-to-backs on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. They've got, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they've got Phoenix on Tuesday, and then the very next night, they've got Denver. A again, there's no tomato cans in there, and, I mean, they could they could easily go 0-3 on those three games, and they've got to they've got to they've got to protect the house tonight. Absolutely, and getting into the trade deadline, there's a lot of players who got traded yesterday that are going to be waived by their teams and are going to be available to sign. But keep in mind, this is where I think the Kings have to be active. I think they can find that bench strength, and I hope they're looking at that. But the following teams are ineligible to sign any of these players that are waived, and that includes the Warriors, the Clippers, the Suns, and the Nuggets, which gives the Kings wow. a great shot to add bench strength to make them more compatible in order to make a playoff run. So those top teams are not eligible to sign anyone. And if you're curious on the East, it's the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Heat. Those teams cannot sign a waived player. Enjoy the Super Bowl, Steve. Next time we talk, we'll know who the champ is, and we'll uh, break down everything we see, man. Thank you, and have a great weekend, and good luck to your 49ers. Migs. Sports Show.